Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday the 3rd of November 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Romans 2, verses 1 to 16, and brings us a message entitled, This is Our God, the Wrath of God. Often already got a church bulletin for November. There are some still available, and make sure you take one this evening. There are some cards still available uh, about our anniversary weekend, our special evening of praise on the 16th of November at 8 o'clock, and our anniversary services on the Lord's Day, 11 in the morning and half 6 in the evening. These cards are available. Take them and to pass them on to a neighbor and friend. Could I invite you to open your Bibles? at the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day. When according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Father, we pray for the gracious help of the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive and respond to the word of truth. We pray in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. On the 8th of January, 1741, 
Jonathan Edwards preached the most famous sermon in American history at that time. The sermon was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was a sermon that presented the true condition of fallen humanity and the need for sinners to be saved. Here is an excerpt from his message. Jonathan Edwards was not blessed with great eyesight, and he held his notes closely to his eyes in order that he might see them. And here's what he says. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead and pulls you downward with great weight and pressure toward hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a rock falling. There are the black clouds of God's wrath now hanging directly over your head, full of the dreadful storm and big with thunder. And were it not for the restraining hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. The sovereign pleasure of God for the present stares his rough wind, otherwise it would come with fury. And your destruction would come like a whirlwind, and you would be like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And historians tell us that as Jonathan Edwards preached that message, men and women were impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they grabbed their seats where they were sitting and their knuckles were white as a result of holding the seat for fear of falling into hell. We've been looking at the God of the Bible. Behold your God. We've been considering some of the attributes of God. His love, His holiness, His knowledge. And tonight I want us to just focus for a few moments on His wrath. I don't come to this pulpit tonight. I don't come to this service tonight. I don't come with this message tonight with a sense of delight. Because it's not an easy thing for any preacher to preach on the wrath of God. And yet we have got to realize that it's as much a part of God's character as is his love, his holiness, and his knowledge, and his faithfulness. And most people avoid at all costs the thought of seeing God as a God of wrath. But the Bible does not make an apology, nor does it seek to hide this divine attribute. This is the way Scripture characterizes our God. We read that the Lord is a jealous and an avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind, and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. 
And Naaman asked the question, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire on the rocks which are shattered before him. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to take the land desolate and destroy the sinners within. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Lord. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. We move to the New Testament and listen to the words of John the Baptist. As he speaks in Matthew 3 and he says, His winning fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into barns and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And tonight we read the words of the Apostle Paul regarding those who are lost, those who are without God, those who are without Christ, those who are without hope. And he says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When we come to the book of the Revelation, we read these words, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. I put it to you tonight, the scripture paints an awful picture, an absolute fearful and horrifying picture of God's wrath. But yet today's church soft pedals the theme of judgment and quietly omits the doctrine of hell to suit its own tastes and its own desires. John Blanchard, the Christian apologist, has written many helpful books on many different subjects. And there's a book entitled, Whatever Happened to Hell? I remember as a young boy often hearing preachers preaching about hell. We don't seem to hear that as often today as we used to hear it. And if we do not understand God's wrath, then we lose the appreciation of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. One cannot fully understand the nature of God's love without understanding the extent of God's wrath. We meet in the presence of a God who is absolutely perfect in word, in thought, in deed. And his perfection is seen in his love, but his perfection is equally seen in his wrath. Both the Old and New Testaments reflect that balance when it reminds us that our God loves righteousness and hates wickedness. R.A. Torrey, a great preacher of a bygone day, said this, Shallow views of sin and of God's holiness and of the glory of Jesus Christ and his claims upon us 
lie at the bottom of weak theories of the doom of the impenitent. When we see sin in all its hideousness and enormity, the holiness of God in all its perfection, and the glory of God in all its infinity, nothing but a doctrine that those who persist in the choice of sin, who love darkness rather than light, and who persist in the rejection of the Son of God, shall endure everlasting anguish. The more closely men walk with God, and the more devoted they become to His service, the more likely they are to believe in this doctrine. Our God is a God of love, He is. Our God is a God of holiness. Our God is a God of faithfulness. Our God is a God of knowledge. But our God is a God of wrath. I just want to say one or two things this evening about this. I want you to understand and appreciate the nature of God's wrath. The nature of God's wrath. What is it like? Well, the first thing I want to say this is this. That God's wrath is pure. God's wrath is pure. The wrath of God is not like human wrath. Very often when we get angry, we are offended. Our pride gets in the way. And so often the wrath of man and the anger of man is a reflection of the evil heart of man. And even when we're angry about the right things, our own sinfulness usually pollutes our anger. And that's why we must not impose our concept of anger unto God. God's anger is pure. What I mean by that tonight is this. God's anger is untainted by sin. It's not a sinful anger. It's not a selfish anger. It is pure because it is related to His holiness. A holiness which means that God cannot and will not tolerate sin. You remember that incident recorded by the Apostle John in his Gospel? In John chapter 2 where we read about the Lord Jesus cleansing the temple. And the cleansing of the temple was a demonstration of his holy wrath. And God never makes a mistake in the exercising of his wrath. To put it in human language, he doesn't fly off the handle in a moment of fury. He doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't have an emotional outburst as a result of him not being in control of his mind and his thought. When God is angry, it is an expression of his holiness and of his justice. God's anger, God's anger and God's wrath is characterized by purity. And the second thing I want to say tonight is this, that God's anger is revealed from heaven. God's anger is revealed from him. That's what is said in Romans 1 and 18. The literal meaning is that it is constantly being revealed. God is always revealing his wrath. It has been visible throughout human history. To begin with, God revealed His wrath in the Garden of Eden. 
When Adam and Eve sinned, they were thrown out of paradise. The earth was cursed and death became a terrible reality. That was a forceful lesson to the world that God hates sin. God loathes sin. God despises sin. We also see God's wrath manifest in the flood about which he said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. And God demonstrated his wrath in such things as the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the greatest demonstration of his wrath was not revealed in the garden, not revealed in the flood, not in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but in the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. At Calvary, when God poured out his wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ, and maybe you've been speaking to people who think that many people sin and get away with it. And we think of the nations tonight. We think of what people have said about God. We think of how comedians have made audiences laugh as they have mocked the Almighty. As they have mocked the Son of God. And we who know and love the Lord and have experienced the grace of God, we say... I would be fearful to do such a thing as that, lest God would strike me in his wrath. And perhaps you're thinking that, well, many people sin and get away with it. Is God's wrath revealed against them? Listen to what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, the wrath of God is like great waters that are damned for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course once it is let loose. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open and the fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. Men and women, loved ones tonight, God is not indifferent to man's sin. God is not indifferent to man's mocking. God is not indifferent to man's rejection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that grieves the heart of God more than to see his son being rejected. And God may choose to hold back his wrath for a time, but he will ultimately release it with great fury. And Paul in Romans 2 explained that sinners are stockpiling wrath that will come crushing down on them one day. Again we read in Romans chapter 2, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath. Look at it. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Men and women tonight, grasp this. God is not finished with this world. God does not take the murder of unborn children out of his notice. God does not 
overlook flying in the face of biblical truth regarding men and women's sexual identity and their creative roles as a man and a woman. And if it seems that the sins of men and women go unchecked, it will be that God is storing up the waters of his wrath and sharpening his sword. He will settle his accounts in his perfect time and in his perfect way. Have no fear. I'm reminded of the story that is told of a farming community in which most of the farmers were godly men who gathered to worship the Lord on the Lord's days instead of working their fields. One exception was a farmer who was an atheist. He considered himself a free thinker. You know, the person that we meet today and they say with a smugness in their face, we don't do God. What an awful thing to say. We do do God. He's not on our list. He's not on our to-do sheet. We don't do God. And this farmer considered himself to be a free thinker. And he often teased his neighbor saying, hands that work are better than hands that pray. And part of his land bordered the church and he would make a point of driving his tractor past the church during the worshiping hours of the service. And when one year his land produced more than anyone else's in the country, he submitted a lengthy letter to the editor of the local paper, boasting of what man can do on his own without God. The editor printed the man's letter and then added this pithy comment. God doesn't settle all his accounts in the month of October. God doesn't settle all his accounts in the month of October. God's wrath is pure. God's wrath is revealed from heaven. And God's wrath is directed against all sin. We're told in Romans 1 and 18 that God's wrath is directed against all ungodliness and on the unrighteousness of men. His wrath is directed against sin. All sin is not uncontrolled, irrational fury like that of a criminal who might take his or her vengeance out on the nearest person, but rather it's discriminating and carefully pointed at ungodliness and unrighteousness. There are two important words. Ungodliness is the result of a person's broken relationship with God. And God's anger is against those who are not rightly related to him. The ungodliness of believers is evidenced by their impiety towards God. Their lack of reverence, devotion and worship which leads to idolatry. The ungodliness of unbelievers is evident in these ways. But the wrath of God is not only directed against ungodliness, but against unrighteousness. It affects people's relationship with others. And if you're not rightly related to God and fail to revere him, your relationship with everyone else will be affected by that. The most relationship, the most important relationship in the world is the relationship with God. And that as a result of that relationship, every other relationship is affected. 
As I've said before, there are two things that prevents an individual from experiencing the grace of God. One is unrighteousness. And the other is self-righteousness. Those are the only two things that stop people from trusting Christ. The unrighteous man says, I've sinned too much. My sin is too great. I have sinned too long. There's no mercy for me. And the message of the gospel to that man is this, that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You see, there are none too bad that can't be saved. That's what we say to the unrighteous tonight. And then there is the sin of self-righteousness. There are those who say, I'm too bad. There are others who say, I'm too good. There are those who say, I'm too bad that I can't be saved. And there are others who say, I'm too good, so I don't need to be saved. And I fit it into that category. Deceived by the devil, led captive at his will. Thinking that somehow or other, because I knew my Bible, because I could recite verses of Scripture, chapters, because I could answer questions, uh, because I was regular in attendance at the house of God and involved in religious organizations, I didn't need this salvation. I was all right the way I was. I was deceived and dominated by a self-righteousness which I didn't realize was like a filthy rag in the sight of God. You see, ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. And that leads to a failure to honor God's word and to walk in God's ways. It's no wonder that God hates sin. It's the one thing that will keep anyone from entering his presence. It's the one thing that will damn them for all eternity. And there's only one thing that can hide us from the wrath of God. There is an awful scene that is described for us in the book of the Revelation. The writer John tells us about the sky vanishing like a scroll that has been rolled up. In Revelation 6, he says, every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, and here's what they said. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? The day of judgment. The day when God will visit this godless world. In judgment and pour out a wrath that is characterized by purity 
a wrath that has been revealed from heaven and a wrath that will judge sin. Thank God if you're in Christ you'll not experience this day. Because the old hymn puts it better than any theologian. The wrath of God that was my Jew upon the Lamb was led and by the shedding of his blood the debt for me was paid. The wrath of God that was my Jew, the wrath of God that I deserved, the wrath of God that every sinner deserved was poured out on the Son of God. He bore the wrath. That's where we get this word propitiation from. He took upon himself the wrath that I should have taken. We have sung about it tonight. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered. He died alone. And the wrath of God will never fall on me because it has fallen on Christ. And he is my refuge. He is my shepherd. He is my refuge. He is my shelter. He is my strong tower in the time of storm. Oh, what, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means that our sins are all forgiven. It means that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that God is our Father, that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are His children. And all that we need for today is ours in Christ, and all that we need for tomorrow. Oh, make sure tonight that you're in Christ. Make sure tonight that the sin question has been answered in the way God desires to answer. Look away from yourself tonight. Look away from your church tonight. Look away from your family tonight. Look away from what you have done or anything that you could do and look to Christ tonight. Run to Christ tonight. Embrace him. And you will find that he will embrace you, bring you into his family, make you his child. And if you're a child of God tonight, give thanks to God from the depths of your heart for the one who bore your wrath in his body on the tree. And every day live for him with trusted hearts and with thankful hearts. May God write his word in all our hearts for his name's sake. Father in heaven, these words stir us tonight. These words are sobering, searching. You know, God, you have revealed them in Holy Scripture that we might learn something more about who you are and what you have done in the amazing plan of salvation which involved your son going to Calvary to bear the holy wrath of a holy God that we might go free. Bless every head bowed before you just now. We thank you for those who are the Lord's. And should there be any tonight who have never come to that place where they're trusting in Christ alone for salvation, oh God, oh God, have mercy upon them and draw them safely to yourself. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake.
Amen.